We'll be now also reading from God's Word, the 27th Psalm. From the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's true and eternal Word. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident." One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. May God bless the... We open our Bibles again to Psalm 27. We have one verse in this passage that captures something of what we are considering around the theme of communion with God. We, we are all creatures who are driven by desire. And the very design of God in creation shows that, of course, He knows this. He created us. He even created us to act upon desire. You look at creation and you see the warmth of the sunshine and you see the beauty of the horizon, and you see the majesty of the mountains, and then even more precious, the truth of God's Word, and the great blessings of salvation, and they were all meant for us to desire God. And we look at David in this psalm, Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. This is a king. He is a rich king. He could have desired gold. He could have desired wisdom or power or might. He could have desired... Edom and Moab and Egypt and Syria subdued. He could have desired more sons or more daughters, fame, more leisure. But of all the things that he could have desired, he chose one to put in this psalm. He's, of course, saying this is the most majestic thing to be desired. This is the greatest dignity for the soul of a man or a woman to desire. And this is what he desires. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Not, not one day in seven and not one hour of a day, but all the days of my life in the temple to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. In summary, he's saying, I desire God. That is the one thing I desire. This was a man who knew that there was much pleasure in power and in government working well and in servants who are obedient and everything going as planned. And he could desire those things. And and he certainly desired them, but they're all subservient to this one master desire of all, which is God. And in, in many ways, this is a summary of our last sermon regarding communion with God. Not a single one of us will be driven to have communion with God if you or I don't desire it. And so for that purpose, we considered the importance and the delight that is to be found in communion with God. And today we will be considering mainly in our second and third points the means of communion with God and then the manner of communion with God. In a sense, this is how to begin communion and how to continue communion. Or you could say how to obtain this communion and then how to maintain this communion. But before we go to our second and third points, there's still one point that is, in essence, still with the theme of importance and delight. And and I call it the excellencies of communion with God. And in this point, I just want to introduce this one reality. One of the gems that that you find when you you delve in some of the Puritan literature, beloved. It's It's like being at the feet of heavenly pastors. Pastors that literally I wish I could just bring a sermon and read it to the congregation because you would be so edified. And let me in this first point just speak of what I mean by excellencies of communion with God. It was the Puritan John Flavel who put together 11 sermons and under the theme of England's duty under the present gospel liberty. He's calling it the duty of the very nation because they have liberty to worship God. And all of those sermons are on one verse, Revelation 3, verse 20, which is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Do you see there the theme of communion with God? That Christ is inviting the church to commune with Him. And He is saying, if you open the door, if you have the desire to commune with Me, I will commune with you. We will break bread together. We will have a meal together. If you want to be My friend, I will be your friend. This is what Jesus is saying to the church, which indicates that even the church, believers, may start going far from the Lord and not communing with Christ. So in these 11 sermons, He's he's bringing the whole theme of communion with God. Basically, all of them are around the theme of communion. And when you get to sermon number 11, He has these sub-points there. Our minds can't even conceive because we're not used to this detailed element of of sermon proclamation. He has 20 excellencies of communion with God. That's just part of Sermon 11. And I'm working on summarizing them so that we can have it as a sheet because I want you to, even if it's just to read the title of these 20 excellencies, Excellencies, you're already blessed. And I want to give you the first one. I want to give you the first excellency of communion with God of this list of 20s. Flavel is, you see what he's doing. He's trying to make his congregation grasp that communion with God is something you cannot dare do away without. And so the first one is based on the image of God. And it's based on this thought. You know how in 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse 2, we read, When He shall appear, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the thought there is that when you have a glimpse, when a child of God has a glimpse of Christ without any veil, without any haziness, you see Christ in all His glory, you will be as He is. Glorification will happen with that sight of Christ. And so the thought here is that when you have communion with God, you are going in that direction. You're seeing a little more and a little better who Christ is. And as you see Him a little better, you will start in the direction of being a little bit more like Him. The image of God that you have in you, which is an imprint of God, it will become cleaner and purer and more like the original while you spend time with God through Christ. This is exactly what Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord see as we behold the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But see, on this earth, we, we can't see the glory directly, but we see as in a mirror. It's, it's like as you read the Bible, we are seeing a reflection of God. We don't see the rays. We don't see the shine. There's so much that is kept from us, even for our good. Because if we were to see it right now, before that day, that, that we're kind of ready for it, and that we can be transformed in His glory, we would die. The glory would be so great. The awesomeness would be so grand. We could not tolerate it. But we see it as from a glass, from a mirror. And and as we do, we're being transformed in the image of God. And so that's the first excellency in in that group of of 20. And and like I said, I I hope to, maybe next sermon, bring one more. But I'll, I'll hope to have all 20 in a summary format so that you can go through them. But I wanted to start there before we look at the very means of communion with God. How, how to obtain it. How is this communion possible? Well, it has to begin. And so we, we need to start here. We, we need to understand that without union with Christ, there is no communion. The, the, the Puritans loved that phrase, without union, there's no communion. I found it in several of them saying that. And of course, you understand, that's something very basic. If you're not saved, you cannot be near. If you're not saved, by definition, you're far from God. And we're talking about being near to God. And so salvation is of the essence. Um, That's where communion comes from. It comes from union with Christ. Now... Even as we begin this theme, it's important that we understand what we're not speaking about. When I speak of communion with God, communion with Christ, number one, we are not talking about going through the motions. I I brought this last time to a degree, but I want to reinforce this because this is very important. Communion in God will have to do with time reading the Bible, but it's not the reading of the Bible that is, as it were, in and of itself, communion with God. It is not the function. It is not the discipline. It is not the coming to church in and of itself. It is not just you you saying a prayer in and of itself. See, these performances, these disciplines, they, they have their place, but they're not the communion in and of themselves. Look what John Flavel said. Men may multiply duties and yet be strangers to communion with God in them. Even humiliation and fasting days may be kept by souls that are estranged from communion with the Lord. Isn't this the complaint we see in Scripture where God speaks of this people who draws near to me with their lips but not with their hearts? See, Israel and even Christianity... This is something human. We, we know how to follow the rules. We, we know how to do the ceremonies. And we know how to do the rituals. But if that's what you're thinking communion is, 
then you're not communing with God. The Lord Jesus made this very plain and clear in His Sermon on the Mount when He spoke of giving alms and of praying and of fasting. Remember? Um, If you give your alms before men because you want to be seen by them, if you you pray because you want others to see and hear your prayers, if you fast because you're interested in the praise that people would say, "What, what a holy and sacrificial person that is, well, then you're not communing with God. Then secondly, also, that's very important to say, we're not speaking of merely an emotional, spiritual pursuit. We're not saying that we're after feelings for the sake of feelings. See, in those two areas, we're not after duties for the sake of duties. We're not after experience for the sake of experience. We can idolize both. And it's astonishing how the church has gravitated to one side or another. Or you can think of yourself as an individual. And, and, and we have a hard time staying right in the middle. Through, throughout church history, we have found many who have idolized the duties. And many who have idolized the experiences. And, and those become, as it were, their God. Because they're, they're not communing with God Himself. They're, they're just doing what makes them feel good. And they think that that is the communion itself. No. And to fix all of that way of thinking and to make the balance right, this is what we need to understand. What is communion based upon? What, what are we even talking about when we, when we say communion in its most foundational way? Here's the thought of you spending time in prayer and reading your Bible. That, that's, that's an element of communion. Communion will, will come forth out of that. But where, what is the foundation of, its all, of, it, of it all? Remember, we mentioned that communion is a communication. Christ communicates and we communicate. Well, let's look at what Christ communicates. These are, these are doctrinal points that we often speak of, and I'm, I'm going to try to be brief in just listing them. Our communion with Christ is based upon these foundational actions of God, you could say, truths that He blesses us with. This is what He communicates to those who are His own. The first thing, because it kind of starts there even as a birth, it is sonship. Or we could say adoption. See, through the Son of God, we have the authority and the ability to become sons of God. This is what Jesus taught in, I mean, this is what God's Word says in John 1, 12. But as many as received Him, Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. See, Jesus is the heir, so that through Him we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Romans eight seventeen. See, He's communicating to His own the position of sons of God. Is that something He communicates? And see, we're going to have to communicate back. And as a Christian, if you're a child of God, you need, as a child, to say, I thank you, Lord. And acknowledge that. And and live like an obedient son and daughter. But that's one foundation. Another foundation is priesthood and kingship. Because notice what happens. Jesus is our priest and Jesus is our king. But in that office, he communicates that to his own. Look at Revelation 1.5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you know, He is king and priest. But he makes us to be kings and priests. See, there's a communication of his priestly and kingly offices. He communicates those to his own. And then thirdly, righteousness. He is the righteous one. But then what does he do with that righteousness? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we even read in Jeremiah 
23.6, the Lord our righteousness. You see, a communication. He's the righteous one, but that righteousness doesn't stay with him and we stay here. He communicates that righteousness and he makes us righteous. Look what John Flavel says about this. Now, this is a most inestimable privilege, the communication of righteousness. The very ground of all other blessings and mercies. Oh, what a benefit is this to a poor sinner that owes to God infinitely more than he is ever able to pay by doing or suffering to have such a rich treasure of merit that lies in the obedience of Christ to discharge in one entire payment all his debts to the last farthing. If righteousness, then forgiveness, and you're cleansed, and you're pure in the eyes of God. See, that's what God communicates. That's His communion with His people. And then, not only priesthood, sonship, kingship, and righteousness, we have number four. I put priesthood and kingship together. So, number four sanctification there's also this other part it's not just summarized in righteousness there's sanctification because now sanctification is the walking in holiness jesus is the holy one jesus is the obedient one he's the one in whom there is not a single sin does he communicate that to us yes he does because a true believer will be also sanctified from day to day. Righteousness is justification. That's a one-time event. Sanctification is a daily event. And we grow and grow and grow in obedience. And look at Jesus. See, this is what I'm wanting you to understand. Everything about Jesus, union with Him, will receive those things. He is our King. He makes us kings. He's our priest. He makes us priests. He is righteous. He makes us righteous. He is holy. He sanctifies us. The Bible says that even Jesus learned obedience. Because see, as he grew as a child, there were things he learned that he didn't know when he was younger because of his human capacity of understanding. And as he learned it, he did it because he obeyed perfectly. And that, that sanctification he passes on to his own. That's his communication. But then there's also communicated to us something of his death and something of his life and you would say his death I I don't really want anything with his death yes you do you need to because you need to die to this world see in Christ's death he communicates that death to us and in Christ we all die right we are crucified with Christ. Look at, look at Galatians 2.4. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. So that means that we, we are crucified to our sinful nature, to, to the old man. And that is what dies. Isn't it wonderful to have the death of Christ communicated to us? That's how I die to sin. But then he resurrected and that's communicated to us too. And we live in newness of life. And that resurrection, you could say, has a double power because not only are you resurrected into life, but when you die physically, you'll also resurrect physically as well. That's called a second resurrection. Life and death, priesthood, kingship, all these things. And the last is always glorification because that's what will happen when we see Jesus as he is we will be glorified our bodies will no longer have any traces of sin we will not be able to sin we won't want to sin and our souls will be received again from heaven and that body will resurrect and if we're alive we will be transformed as soon as we see Jesus and that will be glorification a glorified body and soul forever and ever and ever look at 2 Thessalonians 1.12 that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ Did you catch that? That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you glorified in Him. John 17, 22, and the glory, this is Jesus' prayer, remember, before He goes to the cross, and the glory which Thou gavest Me, I have given them. 
If it weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't dare say these things. But we, we need to explain it. This, this does not mean that we compete with Christ in, in any kind of glory. It's not that we receive a glory and that we are now somewhat co-divine with Jesus. There, there have been people who have introduced heresies like that. They, they even use words like amalgamation, that we are, we are joined in a, in a union in that way with God. That, that, those are all heresies. We're not speaking of competing with the glory of Christ. It is, it is in the sense that of all the brethren, Christ will always have the preeminence. And we, we will look like Him for His glory. We will be pure, we will be holy, but we will never be greater than Jesus. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will always and forever be all-glorious in a divine way. See, even in heaven, even though we will never have an end, we will always be creatures who had a beginning. So we'll always be less in that sense. We'll never, we're never speaking of a glory that competes with God's. But it is a glory that's communicated to men and women. So these are the foundations of communion with God. Each one of these, boys and girls, think of it this way. This is what God has communicated. He's communicated His righteousness, His holiness, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the glorification of Christ. Now it's our time to communicate. See, He's communicated and we, and we respond well, how? How can we respond? Well, Flavel puts it this way. The way and means by which we come to have fellowship with Jesus and these excellent privileges. See, there is a means. We, we, can't, have, have, we can't respond if something doesn't happen first. And, and this is what has to happen. The new birth. You must be born again. It'll be impossible to have any communion, to respond to all these divine blessings. The soul has no life to do it if you don't have a new life. I know that to to most or to all of you, this is no surprise. You must be born again. John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power. This is His work from above to become the sons of God. But then there is a connection in in what you are to consider that you are to do, but in this understanding that it is all based on His grace. Even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. This, This will be, in a sense, your indication that you've been born again, that you believe. Because if you don't believe, it means you're not born again. And when you believe, it is a sign that you've been born from above. Because you can only have this faith if the Spirit gives it to you. And so we we do have this tension. We, We are commanded to be born again. We are commanded to believe. And yet we are completely helpless in so doing. We need God's work in our hearts. Look at Galatians 3.26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I won't dwell too deeply in this because our whole sermon in the afternoon, we've arrived in Lord's Day 24, which is all surrounding the reality of salvation by faith, not by works. And we'll be dealing with, with this very reality. But... This is, this is how Flavel puts it. He says, We must be made nigh before we can actually draw nigh. We must be put into a state of fellowship before ever we can have actual communion with God. And so it begins there, of course. It begins with the new birth. It begins with salvation. And, and beloved, if you're saved, you need to think of it this way. It was impossible for me to save myself... I needed God to act. I needed heaven's work. And now that I am saved, I can have communion and I will not. I will not see all those valuable things that I have from God and live off of it. Because you see, you need to be reminded that those who are without Christ, they cannot. 
They are far from God. They don't want to be close to God. You have been brought nigh. And this is a sad thing. There are Christians who despise that they've been communicated all these blessings. They have the privilege to come, but they're too lazy or they're too busy or there are other delights. Oh, beloved, don't let that happen. The very, the very thought that there are those who can't and don't, and they don't even have the desire, let that bring not only a pity for their hearts and pleading for their souls, but then to improve upon what has, God has given to you. It is a blessing you don't deserve. It is not because you've been better than most. It is not because there's something God found in you and so He chose you over the other. We understand it's not that. It's His pure grace. It's His love that just, just lavished upon you. And now you must communicate back. And then another thing to consider is that, that this communion, so we understand it must start with being born again, and even as you're born again, it's based always upon Christ lavishing upon you, blessing upon you, and this liberally. So this is what you need to understand. Jesus doesn't say, you know, I've given all those things, but since you're despising it, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give you too much adoption. And I'm not going to give you too much kingship because you're not valuing it. It's, it's never like that. A child is a child. A son is a son. If you're alive, you're alive. If you're righteous, you are righteous. He dispenses liberally all those blessings of sonship, priestship, kingship that, that we made. All that list. Look, look at what this Puritan says. Jesus Christ imparts to all believers all the spiritual blessings that He is filled with and withholds none from any that have union with Him. Be these blessings never so great or they that receive them never so weak, mean and contemptible and outward respects. He, it's not like He looks at some Christians saying, you know, they're better Christians. I'll lavish more of these blessings. No, it is always for every single one of us. And that's why we see these principles in God's word. It's to the Gentile and to the Jew, to the barbarian, the Scythian, to the bond and to the free, to the rich and to the poor, to boys, to girls, to men, to women. And then you put this together. They are only to be had through the suffering atoning work of Christ. Now, keep that list in your mind, sonship, kingship, etc. And what do we do now? We add the ingredient, suffering and love and the results of suffering. Let me give you the list again. How do you become a son of God, a daughter of God? It's through the Son who on the cross felt forsaken of the Father. How do you obtain priesthood? It's through our priest who became our sacrifice. Boys and girls, let that be this very dramatic picture in your heart. Jesus was the priest, but on the cross, he took himself as a lamb and placed it on the cross so that on the cross, Jesus was priest and sacrifice all together. That was our priest giving his blood. Every priest before gave the bullock's blood and the ox's blood and the turtle dove's blood and the lamb's blood. E even if Aaron were to say, I'll give my blood, people would have said, no, we don't want your blood. It can't save us. We need it to be a, a pure victim. So Jesus is our priest because he gave himself as our sacrifice. And think of kingship. How do we obtain kingship? Because our king on the cross was crowned with that crown of thorns. He was a king on the cross, mocked by the people, but a true king indeed. We obtain mortification to the world. We can die to sin. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. We obtained resurrection of life because Jesus arose from the grave. 
and we obtain that glorification because Jesus was glorified. You know, the verses that I read, Jesus spoke of his being glorified. He says, Father, glorify me. He receives that glory and he gives it to us. So keep that in heart. See, see how God communicates these things to his own through the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus. He, he paid with his blood for you to have these blessed communications to you. And then, fourthly, um, we realize this reality that it will be guaranteed. Not a single one of us should ever have the doubt that these blessings will not come in full amount. It is always our fault if we don't see it. It is always our sin that we don't, that we don't value it. But it will never be that Jesus is just simply slighting or forgetting to make you feel more like righteous or more holy or to feel the blessings of this life that you have and of the resurrection, etc. And let me read, I want to finish this, this whole point with this one long quote of Flavel. Think of this as, as a little bit of me reading a sermon to you that's better than mine. Doth Christ communicate all he hath to you? And can you withhold anything from Christ? On Christ's part, it is not mine and thine, but ours, or mine and yours. That's how Jesus says, John twenty seventeen. I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See how Jesus speaks. He's already communicating the reality that God is not just His God, He's our God too. But oh, this cursed, idle self which appropriates all to its own designs and uses. How liberal is Christ and how penurious are we to Him. Penurious is the idea that He gives us so much lavishly. We just give Him so little and frugally. Some will not part with their credit for Christ, when yet Christ abased Himself unspeakably for them. Some will not part with a drop of blood for Christ when Christ spent the whole treasure of His blood freely for us. Yea, how loath are we to part with a shilling for Christ to relieve Him in His distressed members when as yet we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor that we through His poverty might be rich. You see how he put it here, that when we see someone of God's people who are needy and we give a little shilling, we are relieving Christ in one of his members. That's what Jesus said, right? When you do it unto a least of these, you did it unto me. And some of us will not do that. We don't want to part with that little bit. Maybe your time, maybe your money. When Christ, who was rich, became poor for us. Obeys and disingenuous or ungrateful returns. The things Christ gives us are great, and the things we deny Him are small. He parts with the greatest. It's that list that I made. And yet is denied the least. The things He communicates to us are none of ours. We have no right nor title by nature or any desert of our to them. The things we deny or grudge to Christ are by all His titles His own. And He hath the fullest and most unquestionable title to them. What He gives to us, He gives to them that never deserved it. What we withhold from Him, we withhold from one that hath deserved that, and infinitely more from us than we have or are put this together with what we've been saying. You saw that list that I made. That's the list of blessing that Christ has lavished. Adoption and sonship and kingship. We saw how Jesus paid for it all with His precious blood. How are we going to respond with a little bit of prayer? A little bit of reading of God's Word. And what do we do? I don't have time. Today I can't sit for five minutes and read. What He gave, we don't deserve. The reading and the prayer, it's not yours. It's even His. Because He gave you strength. He gave you your biology, your, your health. 
Even when we give our offering, it's not mine. It's His. I'm just returning it back to Him. And, 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 and I don't seem to have enough to give that actually belongs to Him because maybe I'm keeping more in my left pocket. This, this is the whole thing, beloved. If you and I don't commune with our God and we claim to be Christians, we are wealthy spiritually, but we're returning like paupers to a God who has given us so much. So that's our second point. And thirdly, and I'll only begin this point because it's not a point that would develop into 20 subpoints, but there were at least five or six things here about how to maintain communion with God. And, and today, we, we hope to just look at two or three of them. The first thing. So now we finally arrived at if you are saved. Because if you're not saved, you need to draw near to God first for the first time. But if you're saved, and see, this point is not just for the believer. It's still for the unbeliever because this is what you are supposed to do if you're saved. So you must be saved. You must be born again. You must trust in the Lord Jesus. You draw nigh to the Lord because you're made draw nigh by His power. Boys and girls, if you don't know if you're saved, go to your mom and dad because there's nothing more important to be certain of that you are born again, that you are ready to die, that you are ready for this communion that you and I need so desperately. So how to maintain communion with God? And the first thing is apply yourself to every means of grace. See, I'm not talking here about how to be saved. But it is now that you're saved. If you are truly saved, you are to apply yourself to every means of grace. It's very interesting that Thomas Brooks has a book of his own called Heaven on Earth. It is a book that deals with the whole theme of assurance of faith. And that's why he calls it Heaven on Earth. The mindset is, if you are saved and you know it, it is a heaven here on earth because you are you are assured of heaven you are assured of eternal life so he calls it heaven on earth but in his dedication the puritans were were so close to the lord that even their dedicatory um, letters were already full of theology and full of love and in this dedication which is interestingly to the generals of england's navy so these were sailors of a dignified position and he explains to them what he calls your happiness here and your blessedness hereafter and he gives six preliminary instructions before he even goes into the theme of assurance he gives six instructions and the reason I say this is because the very first instruction is this get and keep Communion with God. Beloved, those are our two last points. Get is our point two. And keep is the point we're in now. So I want you to wrestle with the reality that the Puritans never, they would rather die than to do this. They never allowed the unbeliever to rest in his state. They loved souls too much to allow them to simply wait for God to save them. They were master preachers of the sovereignty of God and that not a single soul can save themselves, but they also pressed hearts to realize that they must knock and seek. And here they say, get and keep communion with God. See, he knows that these sailors, if they're off to sea and they have no communion, they'll die and go to hell. They need to get communion with God. And once you get it, you must keep it. And not keep it because you might lose it, but keep it in that we must be closer and closer to the Lord. Because as we saw, you might be a Christian who's not so close, so you're not keeping. So he says, get and keep communion with God. Then he says this, your strength to stand and your strength to withstand... All assaults is from your communion with God. Communion with God is that which will make you stand fast and triumph over all enemies, difficulties, dangers, and deaths. 
So, beloved, are, are you grasping how central this is to the walk of Christ? And this may answer many questions. If you, if you feel like you're falling in temptation too easily, if you feel like you're just not standing up to the enemies of the cross, it's very likely that you are not either having communion with God or maintaining it. Get and keep communion with God. So this is Thomas Brooks, and then he gave, gives these examples. He said, take David as an example. While he kept communion with God, no enemies could stand before him. But when he faltered in his communion with God, then he had to flee even his own son. Job had communion with God, and even without realizing, he was actually wrestling and winning his match with Satan. He had no idea of what was happening in the spiritual world. But he never cursed God like Satan thought he would. Adam, on the other hand, he lost his communion with God and fell before Satan in paradise. So every, every sadness you look in the world, beloved, it's because a man and a woman failed to commune with God. And so sin entered the world. And all the suffering we see, it's a result, we can say it's a result of sin. Yeah, but what was that sin? It was a failure in communing with God. So then he concludes this way, Thomas Brooks. Communion is a result of union. Like I said, they like to say. Communion is the reciprocal exchange between Christ and the gracious soul. Communion is Jacob's ladder where you have Christ sweetly descending into the soul and the soul by divine influences sweetly ascending to Christ. Communion with God is a shield upon land and an anchor at sea. It is sore to defend you and a cordial to strengthen you like a medication. High communion with Christ will yield you two heavens, a heaven upon earth and a heaven after death. He enjoys nothing that wants communion with God. He wants nothing that enjoys communion with God. So if you enjoy communion with God, you'll you'll lack nothing. Therefore, above all gettings, get communion with Christ. And above all keepings, keep communion with Christ. All other losses are not comparable to the loss of communion with Christ. He that hath lost his communion hath lost his comfort, his strength, his all. And it will not be long before the Philistines take him and put out his eyes and bind him with fetters of brass and make him grind in prison as they did Samson. Wasn't it lack of communion that turned Samson blind? And we can, we, can, we can continue the thought. As he ground that wheat as an oxen, he began to commune with God. His hair grew. It was a symbol of the presence of the Spirit. And he was able to deliver the people of God by the death of so many Philistines. It was communion with God. Lack of it made him blind. But returning to it turned him into a savior of the people. So I'm just summarizing that first counsel that Thomas Brooks was giving to the generals of the British Navy who who were sailors and who needed to learn communion with God. Make every effort at every means of grace. So this is the first one. And Lord willing, in future sermons, we'll go through a few more. Um, We'll even get, yes, to meeting with the Lord regularly. But I pray, beloved, that even as we've been seeing this in many ways, like an introduction, that that your heart may be stirred that you may grasp this one reality. Beloved, if you don't see your need for this, it will not happen. But I pray that with these pleas and with these principles of God's Word, you may say like David, one thing have I desired of the Lord, 
That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. We've seen something of that beauty and how in His grace He communicates everything to us. None of it is what we deserve, but all of it is from His grace. And when we return it in gratitude, in prayer, in time, in devotion, we are merely saying thank you. And in all of this that we're returning is not even our own. And it's so little. May it not be that we give even less or nothing at all for such a rich giving. May we have rich returns. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for all the many blessings. When we think of Christ Himself, the one in whom we have the adoption and sonship and, and the priestly um, office and kingly office and righteousness and holiness and the hope of glory, life and death, life to Christ and death to sin, all in the person of Jesus. Lord, may we be like the bridegroom in the Song of Solomon's, where we, the bride in the Song of Solomon's, where we delight in our bridegroom, where we are ravished in love of our Savior. Because when there is this love, there is the desire. There is the yearning. And we will do it. We will pray. We will read. We will meditate. We will contemplate the beauty of the Lord. Lord, I pray that Thou would work this in our hearts, each and every one of us. And Lord, those who are far, for they are unbelievers, that they are lost and without God in the world. Lord, we pray, open such hearts to see that Christ is nigh, even, Lord, in a sense, as close as the prayer is, Lord, save me. Lord, give faith. Give a heart that is new to plead for salvation to those who are far from Thee, that they may get and then keep communion with God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.